Welcome to the Cashflow Legends Podcast with your hosts, Nate, Brandon, and Brock. Remember, our insights are not direct financial advice, so consult with your financial team before making any decisions based on the topics discussed in this show. Welcome back to Cashflow Legends. I am stoked to be here with my dudes, Nate and Brock. We are going to talk today about a question that I think we all get or have gotten multiple times in our life in regard to working with people about infinite banking. And it's rather interesting to me because I had two conversations yesterday where when someone begins to start trying to understand what infinite banking really is or what it really isn't, they often start coming up with these wild scenarios of if the world falls apart and, you know, before Jesus coming back, but just cataclysmic events that they never bring up in any other financial planning, but it comes up when they start learning about infinite banking. So uh, we're going to talk today about Let's first clarify what really is infinite banking, because we we always want to be aware that you may have hopped on this first podcast. This may be the first podcast or YouTube you're watching, so you may not have any context. So one of you guys frame up very simply what infinite banking is, like 30 seconds or less, just basic. And then let's start diving into why does it fail and when does it fail and some things we've seen along the way. Nate, you want to tackle it or Brock? Yeah, no, I can do that. So right. <clears throat> uh, infinite banking um, very simply is understanding that we have the ability to create our own private banking system utilizing an asset. The preferred asset for us is dividend paying whole life insurance because of the minimum guarantees, the certainty and all the things that we can count on um, and also working with a uh, a mutual insurance company that has a very long track record, 150 years or more of paying dividends. Um, so those things are really important. So utilizing a properly structured dividend paying whole life insurance policy to create your own private banking system, essentially funding this asset, building up equity inside of it or cash value that we can actually use to our advantage. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just a much more efficient place for money to be held for us to be prepared to deploy capital out into our lives somewhere. Thank you, Nate. One thing that people always ask when they hear infinite banking in regard to when we're visiting with them is they have some preconceived notions if they've not ever visited with somebody about it before. Um, and those come from all over the place or they have no context of it. Uh, Brock, what are some some things that you get to walk people through in regard to high expectations and real world outcomes and how those go together with the knowledge of infinite banking? Great question. First one would be the definition of cost. A lot of people think that whole life costs a whole lot more than all the other programs out there. But uh, through conversation and understanding economics, you would know that whole life insurance is the least costly insurance that you could own in the life insurance world. Another one would be uh, the myth about that you have to pay premiums until you're 100 years old or more. Another thing that we have to tackle quite a bit is um, I'm going blank. Oh, having access to the cash value before you're 
15 or seven or something kind of way out there. Um, the way that we design our policies is if we wanted to, if we needed to, we could access the money in the first year, but we don't have to. Uh, we want to build it in a way that is beneficial both here in the near term and also, and more importantly, in the long term. And let's touch on that for just a second, because it's a very important piece. A lot of the things you just stated are things that get um, perpetuated out on social media and they're, they are truths, but they aren't the whole truth a lot of times. So you just alluded to not having access to the cash values seven years down the road, 15 years. I've even heard 20 years in the last three months. Yep. And if it were a traditional whole life policy, the way they used to get sold 20, 30, 40 years ago, there is some truth to that. There are people that I know that have policies that paid premiums and didn't think they could access their cash value for long periods of time. But what you just alluded to, Brock, was really being sure that what the individual needs and them understanding why they need it and when they need it and what the effects are either way, not good or bad, just reality helps people really decide what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And that's really the most important piece in regard to understanding that infinite banking is not some magic pill. It's not some get rich quick thing. It's literally just a concept and a mindset combined with permanent whole life insurance like Nate discussed early on, and then putting it to work in a way that benefits the things that matter to you the most, which is what people are trying to do anyway. So Nate, talk about some common pitfalls that we've seen um, either from our members or in our own lives or externally related to infinite banking. Man, I would say probably the biggest one is um, when people forget to recognize that money always has to flow somewhere. And so that idea of controlling the banking function and when we shift wind current, when and that really just boils down to if we're no longer making a payment to someone else's bank, then ideally we would want to make that payment back to our bank. Um, because money has to flow no matter what. So if you're not making a payment to somebody else, make that payment to yourself. The process of repaying policy loans is simply um, continuing the practice of saving money and paying yourself first. That's what it boils down to. And in any financial strategy that you come across, what you recognize is the people who are winning and who are successful are paying themselves first, not paying themselves last. That's good. That's really good. What we don't normally realize, and I didn't either, being coming from being a middle school principal and thinking I retire from that profession, is what number I was in the order of who got access to the money that I was paid. And I was not at the top. Let's just be very clear on that. I was fifth, sixth, or seventh. Um, and I, I, I'd never been introduced to that even idea. I mean, and that is, I can show that to my kids and they can go, Oh, I don't want to be sixth. I want to be first. And you don't have to explain anything else. And they're like, how do I get to be first? And that's as well, simple. Why don't, as it gets. why don't you, why don't you explain that a little bit further, Brandon? I don't, I don't know okay. if people would understand that. So when we get an income from wherever we get it, typically speaking, 
other people have their hand in the cookie jar before we get to put our hand in the cookie jar. So you've got local taxes, state taxes, property taxes, um, federal taxes. What else am I missing, Brock? Because I know social, you do this. Social security. Social security. Taxes. It, it, and depending on how you receive your income, you're normally down the line. Mm-hmm. And that's not even ever really discussed. We haven't even mentioned infinite banking. We're just yeah. talking about what order are you and when you receive your money. And well, anybody would go ahead, Brock. And Brandon, what about uh, when we put our money other places? Could we, could we be in a couple notches down the ladder of who gets the money first? Absolutely. It, and that could be multiple places, right? If you really just sit down and think about anybody watching right now, where does my money go? What are the rules and how I get access to it? How I have certainty over it or lack thereof? Or when it does come to me, what will occur and what order will I be in the pecking order of how I receive it and who controls that? And I think this is probably what I love best about what we do, guys, is we're not telling anybody what they should do. We're just saying, here are the rules of the game. This product, that product, this product, that product. How do you want to handle it now that you know the rules? And then you go from there. I think that's the value of what we get to do is, you know, not telling people what to do or anything like that, but teaching them and helping them understand all the things that are misunderstood that are out there, giving them clarity on what they really like about what they're doing and what they don't like about what they're doing. So they get to make those decisions. Um, You know, one of the things that, that we talk about so often is, you know, we don't tell people don't put money in a retirement plan. But if all you ever do is put money in a retirement plan, you're always going to be taxed at ordinary income. You know, so <laughs> let's let's do hey. some things. Let's figure out some ways that we can reduce our taxable income um, because the order the order in which we do things becomes extremely important. Rock, expand on that. The order in which we do things becomes extremely important. And imagine you're having a conversation with someone who you've just met for the first time. Let's say they've already shared the decisions they've made to this point mm-hmm. and walk through that as if I'm a brand new potential person you're working with. All right. So let me, let me do this in two different ways. Let me give you two different people. One from a conversation that I had yesterday and one that I have oftentimes, but I don't ever really get to touch on it too deep because that's just not the world that I live in. But one of the things that I talk about, want to talk even more about is with younger people. Okay. Whether we realize it or not, when we start our working career, we're handed these paper documents about our 401k. And without even thinking about it, everyone just says, I'll max it out. I'll put it in as much as I can. But what they fail to realize is the personal economics of what's going on. Right now, if you join the work world, um, this is a great example. So my graduating class at Vanderbilt, our starting salary of average starting salary in that was 110 grand. So, and that's not including bonus, but if they all said, we're going to max out our income, we graduated, most of us graduated at the age of about 23. Our highest income earning potential years are between 45 and 55. And at 24, 23, we were at our lowest income earning years probably in our entire life, which means we are at the lowest economic point of our life, paying the least amount of taxes, 
but yet we're giving all of our money away to somewhere to defer the taxes to a later date when if our investments do what they're supposed to, which is do good, and we earn more income, we're probably going to be paying a higher tax bracket, whether tax brackets increase or not. So the order in which we do things is extremely important. So when you start out at work, you're at the lowest income bracket or tax bracket. So I'd be doing things of, hey, how do I get my six months of savings? Then before I go invest in money, how do I invest in myself? How do I learn my investor DNA and who I am and where I want to place my money? Once that is taken care of, then I can start investing. Okay, So that would be on the younger side of things is the order in which we do things is extremely important because we have to understand the economics of the long game. Now, there's the older people. So yesterday, I'm, I'm meeting with... Right. What does older mean to you? <laughs> this person, <laughs> genuine. Genuine question. Older to me is over the age of 45. But... Okay. Not older. I, yeah, not yet. I, do, I do have to preface. I accidentally said this. This guy was 38 yesterday. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so older than me. Okay. Trending to 40 and beyond. Yes. Correct. Okay. But he is an entrepreneur, and, and most of who I talk to is entrepreneurs and how um, we build a life with safety without scarcity and you know freedom for life. And one of the things that we were talking about as him as the entrepreneur was all his advisors and his accountants could tell him to do to lower his taxes were to max out his SEP IRA, which is fine, like, it's not good. It's not bad. Like it is what it is, but they were telling him that he was lowering his taxes, that he was saving taxes on this. Reality is he's not saving taxes. He's just postponing them. Well, with that being said, that was the first thing that he'd typically do at the beginning of the year is max that out. Then he would do all the other stuff. But when we started asking the other things is him being the entrepreneur, he was not investing in himself. He had no coach in his life. He was a part of no mastermind groups to grow himself. And most of his money, he was just saving in cash, which is fine. But he was also putting money in like UPMA accounts for his kids, doing these different things, thinking that he was lowering his income taxes. So my question to him was, what's the greatest tax strategy in the world? He didn't know. Most people don't know, but it's earning more income. Like that is the greatest tax strategy you can have is just earn more income. So you, where you mean you don't want to make less when you retire because you won't need less. You won't need more. That is that is correct, and buddy. Oh. That was a, that was a long conversation we had. Okay. So when we when we looked at it, when I'm looking at business owners, entrepreneurs, if we were just to take a year in timeline, what I would be doing is I would first be investing in myself, putting capital where I want it, putting it in cash, hiring coaches, getting in masterminds, because all of those are deductible. But what that does is it grows and expands and develops our human life value. Well, our human life value is the source and creator of our property value. And when we can show up and provide more value, our income is a byproduct of that. So the likelihood is by doing those things, our value increases, which creates a byproduct of a higher income. Then 
if maybe then at the end of the year, we still have some cash left over and we're like, okay, well, I do want to pay a little bit less in taxes. Then maybe we go put things in a SEP or a 401k or whatever it may be, because we've already taken care of anything else. And maybe we're scared of paying a little a couple dollars in taxes. Yep. But the order in which we do things is extremely important to support us in our personal economies and then us as an entrepreneur as well. So what you said a second ago about uh, what people think they need, I think about, you know, this needs-based analysis, essentially most financial planners, when they have a, a client in front of them, they're going to say, what do you need for retirement? You know, that's the number one question that, that they get asked. What do you need for retirement? If we're setting up your financial plan, what do you need for retirement? There's not a formula in the world that can determine what you need for retirement. Hey, there ain't a formula in the world that can determine what I need next year. Well, I, I don't know if I've used this example before, but I've used it with a few other people. So I remember watching this show and there was this um, investment banker. He was brand new. And he was meeting with a potential investor, his very first deal that he had ever done. And he, the investor looks at the deal, hands it back to him. He says, okay, you've got my 230 mil. And the investment banker says, I only need 80. And he says, son, you don't know what you need. You've never done this before. And so I've used that example a lot. I've probably already shared it before. But if you're watching this episode for the first time or this podcast for the first time, then you've heard it for the first time. But the point to that is like, we haven't retired yet. We don't know what we need. Correct. That's good. That's good. All right. I'm going to circle us back around to the basics and the pitfalls of IBC for a minute. And I had this conversation yesterday. <laughs> I chuckle every time I think about it. Okay. Cause it comes up in times that just make me laugh. So I'm talking to somebody that I know well, and he's sharing with me what a certain organization, a very large one in the insurance world is telling him that he needs to know is the truth about whole life and how it's bad. And the, and, but he, but he's been visiting with me almost daily for months. And he's like, I don't believe that. He said, I talked to a guy every day who completely changed his life using whole life insurance. So you're somebody's lying here or somebody's misinformed. And the thing that the person said to him was, well, you don't even get to keep your cash value. And <laughs> so I just gave him a simple example that we talked through real quick. I'm not even going to tell you what that example is, but when you guys hear that, how do you walk through that on the rare cat? I don't hear it near as much as I used to, but I, but I still hear it on occasion. So this is what, you know, the person says, well, I put all this money in and when I die, I don't even get to keep the cash value brought. How do you walk through that to bring it into basic terms to make the, make it click? Yeah. Uh, I first say, well, yeah, it doesn't matter because you don't get the death benefit either. You died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my first response. And so most of the time I don't give it because obviously that's not very nice. That's yeah. You have to know them well to know that they could enjoy the humor. Yeah. Yeah. But, but unless you live to 121 years old and you get a check written for the entire amount, you are going to get a massive multiple of what you would have gotten 
had you lived the whole time. And if you at, at any point in the contract, at any point in the contract, let's say that your death benefit. Let's so my first policy when I was 18 years old that I personally bought, I think was premium was $6,700 a year. Well, if I would have died the day after I paid that premium, my parents would have gotten a million dollars. That's a pretty good multiple return. Well, I'm now, what's that, seven years? Yep. Seven years down the line, I'm still paying $6,700 a year or whatever it is. And if I were to pass away today, my family would get a little over a million dollars because of the dividends and the things that has grown my death benefit. Yeah, I don't get the cash value, but my family is getting multiple. I mean, I don't even know what that multiple is because it's a lot more than <laughs> 6,700 for seven years that I put into this thing, right? Yep. And even if I went, call it 20 years down the line, and I've put in 120 grand in here, my family's going to get a, at least a 10x multiple in that for the death benefit. And yep. if I, and if in reality, if you just really wanted the cash value before you died for some weird reason for nobody can explain properly, then just take the money out of the policy and now you have the cash value and your family will get the rest of the debt. Yep. That's a great point. That's a great point. So the point that we added to that conversation yesterday, and I use the equity in your home I do too. With, with the same example, you know, you only, what is equity? How does it work anywhere that you create it? And, but the other piece is, and this is where understanding that infinite banking, the concept may have been happening in your life forever. It just wasn't through an efficient, the most efficient environment. Okay. And this is the key piece is how have you been using them together? So before we started recording, we were talking about how whole life is the financial heart of everything we do. And then we go from that heart to create arteries that hopefully create more efficiency and grow the strength of our heart. And that's the piece that unnerves the most people the most, even myself and my journey starting out is now that I believe in this financial heart and how to support it and grow it for the multiples Brock just alluded to, because I'm going to be dead anyway, hopefully I have left a heritage where my people and my structure know what to do with it to continue to perpetuate that heritage. But the reality is, is that that's my job while I'm here. I'm just being a good steward of that knowledge. The scariest thing is, is how am I going to go make this work for me? Brock, you gave some great examples with that business owner in the first year. And I'll touch on that real quick. Business owners, myself included, try to go too fast instead of slowing down and building a foundation that we can then build a level on and then another level. So I was talking to a 27-year-old yesterday and he said, give me, give me the best piece of advice you can give knowing I'm already doing currents and whole life and I understand the heart. Slow down. Invest in yourself. Create an amount that you and your wife feel comfortable with to allow you to continue to be creative as an entrepreneur. He's also in a W2 full-time. So he's in that, I want to get over here to the entrepreneur, but I don't have enough income to support it. And I'm like, the peace of mind of knowing you have a three or six month runway to continue to be creative is going to create a greater impact on how you invest in yourself than working at zero. 
Can I get on my soapbox? Please, because I got on mine with him. All right. So, unfortunately, we live in the world of instant gratification. Like, it is a thing of our world. And, unfortunately, that creeps into everything. Money, jobs, security, all of it. Relationships, all of it. And so, what you said right there is we have to slow down. Most of the time, people are playing two games. They're either playing not to lose or they're playing to win. And either one of those creates this mental, uh, either a, both of them are pretty much a scarcity mindset because if you're playing to win, most of the time somebody else has to lose. And if you're playing not to lose, you're playing from a place of, I got to hold on to what I have. I can't stretch myself. I don't want to lose anything, right? If we can begin to win then play by designing a game worth playing we win when we just show up and so if we know that we're playing a long game i mean because most people hopefully everybody wants to live a long life the reality is we all live until we don't but if we can make the best decisions that we can today being what i like to call patiently aggressive well then we know that what we're doing is making great decisions today, being patiently aggressive to grow our wealth, to grow ourselves, to develop our human life value so that it is the source and creator of our property value. But we are enjoying the process along the way. What most people forget is that if you're not happy now and you're not going to be happy until you get to where you think you want to go, you're not going to be happy when you get there. You have to enjoy the process Mm -hmm and begin playing a game that you enjoy winning before you even get to your destination. One of the most impactful things for me that Garrett has taught me, um, Garrett Gunderson, uh, one of our mentors uh, around the concept and the idea of money is where most people make a mistake is thinking that they always have to be invested in something. And he said, one of the things I love about whole life insurance is I can capitalize, I can store money there, know that it's growing at a better rate most of the time than if I had it sitting in the market because I'm not having to deal with the downturns in the market and not having to deal with the taxes that are going to be created from that. And then when opportunities show up, because opportunity finds capital, so when opportunities do show up, I'm prepared to take advantage of those things. And by keeping constant pressure on our money, even when we're not invested in other assets, make sure that we are prepared at a level that we couldn't have been prepared at in any other asset. One of the like things, those. Okay, I'm going to keep going, Brandon. So one Go. of the things, a lot of the things that hurt us is this, what I call the race to 65. Everybody is thinking that they, because of all the, I'm going to use the word propaganda here. All the propaganda, all the news, all the misinformation out there. Most people think that they need this large nest egg by 65, 70 years old. And so, Nate, like what you said, what Garrett has shared with us a lot is most people think that they have to be invested at all times. The reality is, if we go back to what I was saying earlier, if we design a game worth playing and we've enjoyed the process, what we're doing is we're just growing into a new version of ourselves all the time. And so who knows if we're going to retire? And I'm not saying that 
oh, one day we should never retire and <clears throat> not move into the dish. Like there probably will be a day, one day very far in the future that we want to slow down and enjoy the fruits of our labor. And that's okay. But until we get there, I would like to grow and expand and, and become a better version of myself every single year. So if we can do that, now we can step back and say, Nate, you're right. We don't have to be invested all the time. We can sit on cash for a little bit longer than what most people think is, you know, ideal and understand who we are as an investor, grow our investor DNA, develop our human life value so that when investments do come along, they're congruent with who we are, the game that we're playing. And now we're more fulfilled through the process rather than hoping one day we're just going to arrive and be happy. Really good. So designing a game that we want to play. And I'll give a practical uh, example, two things that jumped in my mind as you guys were uh, giving some great insight there. Nate and I, one of our goals for 2024 is to be able to be completely off the grid for four weeks each. Okay, meaning there's no work that we have to do. Now, here's the cool thing. The only way that's going to happen is if Nate and I spend a ton of time investing in the things inside our ecosystem that we know impact that the most. It's very clear what we have to do. We have to have infrastructure with people that can handle handle and help our business thrive when we're gone. We have to be organized enough to let Brock know, hey, I am or Nate's going to be gone for the podcast recordings. How can we be sure that that's filled and covered ahead of time? And our teams know that. But this is a game we love playing. Like Nate and Brock and I enjoy showing up to record this. So why wouldn't we want to figure out a way to make all of that work, even though it makes us a little uncomfortable because we've never said we are going to be able to be off the grid for four weeks. It requires us to think more diligently, more clearly, more concise. That had nothing to do with going and spending money on investments or rate of return. The second piece is this, and it ties to things that we become good at that we enjoy doing. I don't think I've ever told you guys this, but I grew up on the lake. We go to the lake every year. And the first time I ever saw my dad slalom and barefoot, I became consumed with how in the heck does he do that? And in my mind, he was old then. He was in his 30s and 40s. And he's just zipping around out there. He's barefoot with no skis, doing both. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And he made it very clear. He said, if you want to be able to do those things, we have to start foundationally with what you can handle at a speed you can handle that you're comfortable with. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. And you're going to have to be willing to get back up. So I'll tell you barefooting. With barefooting, some guys use the board beside the, uh, the boat, you know, the pole. We weren't wealthy enough to have none of that stuff. So we had the rope. And you started on sitting on a kneeboard. Well, I already knew how to kneeboard because they had taught me how to do that. I'd fallen a lot. So we would sit on the kneeboard, lay back, and kind of hook our ankles across the point at the front. And dad would just get us comfortable with the right conditions, meaning the water was smooth. And he just pull us through the water to kind of get us acclimated with controlling the board and tightening our core. Now, we're doing this at 12, 13, 14 years old. And... He's like, you're going to bite it and you're going to fall and it's going to suck. Just get your mind right that this is part of the process. So then we're at five miles an hour. We get comfortable with that. Then we're at 10. 
And before you know it, now here's the really cool thing. You cannot barefoot going below a certain speed because there's not enough momentum to keep you on top of the water with your bare feet. So you have to build up to the point to where you're confident enough to where the speed will pull you off of that kneeboard. And now you have enough momentum. And now you have a whole new set of factors to learn to control. And the reason I'm telling that story is because it reminds me of what Brock just said of like, we should continue to evolve into a new version of ourselves in a game we want to play. So the next level for Shane and I would be if we wanted to keep doing that, and I don't anymore because it hurts too much when you fall at 42, is you know we could have gone to the next level of doing all the spins on the water and popping back up on your feet. And I was at peace with that level because falling at about 28 miles per hour feels like you're hitting a brick wall. And so we have video of it. I can prove it to my kids one day but I'll probably never barefoot again. And I'm at peace with that because I played that game and I won at the level I wanted to. This is relevant in anything we do in life. And the investing in yourself piece that Brock and Nate have alluded to uh, so well, that's your foundation. That's getting on the board, getting comfortable, going at slow speed, being sure this is the board I want to be in. This is the conditions I want before I take off. And that's what we need people around us. Like my dad pulling the boat who had the experience he'd already gone through all those things so he could share that and i could be confident because i'd seen him do it and this is where application comes into play and hanging out with people who are going to ask you genuine questions to see what you want to accomplish and hard questions and hard yeah. questions and Sometimes, truth yeah ties very well into slow down yeah uh, because like you said as entrepreneurs business owners we tend to try to go too fast I think it's safe to say, Brandon, you know, 2019, 2020, we were trying to barefoot when we had no clue what we were doing. Uh, we, we needed to have the skis on at yeah. best. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, so we, yeah, we, we, we hit pretty hard and we learned some lessons and um, we've regrouped and have a ton of clarity now about, you know, how we want to build up to that. Absolutely. Something that I want to touch on real quick is, so this was in my quiet time a couple weeks ago. It was on the, the uh, 28th, but it, this is kind of like there's two there's two sides of this coin, right? I wanted us to be clear that we're not saying slow down and stop. Mm -hmm. I would rather move. Um, I think it's an atomic an atomic habits. They talk about move slowly, but don't go backwards. Mm. And so on one hand, you've got. On uh, Proverbs 28, it talks about the stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. Mm -hmm. But when we're stingy, that means we're holding things back to us. We're not being abundant. We're not um, being generous. We have a closed fist on everything that we're doing, thinking that we can shrink our way to wealth and save our way to wealth and just hoard everything to one day, someday get there. But then on the other side of the coin, it talks about a, on in Proverbs 28 again, it talks about a faithful a faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. When I think of the words of a faithful person, I think of the guy who just shows up consistently and persists day after day doing the things that they need to do. They're not so slow that they're not doing anything, but they're also not being the one that's eager and trying to haste, be hasty and and try to gather all this wealth, but they're doing it little by little to grow their wealth because they understand that there's a foundation that needs to be built. 
There's things that you have to do in order to grow the way that you want to grow because freedom without safeguards is only temporary. And if we don't know how to build our financial house with safeguards, that freedom number that we may get to one day will only be temporary and we will crumble because we didn't do the things that we needed to do. That's a great point. I think that's a good, good spot to tie it up for today. Developing a foundation where we're moving forward with intentionality, but we're not moving so fast that we can't see clearly the pitfalls and building that foundation along the way in all things that we do. If you want to shoot us an email, send it to us at cashflowlegends with a Z at gmail.com. Guys, we're getting some good questions in our YouTube comments. We're going to eventually do a frequently asked questions segment and just know anybody who's asked questions. If we haven't answered yet, that'll be the goal. We're also going to make it here pretty soon where there'll be a landing page. And, and let me just lay this out here. So everybody that watches and hears this, there is no reason whatsoever that you shouldn't feel comfortable getting to know us and us feel comfortable getting to know you. So we have no ahas. If you end up deciding that this is a process you want to go through, you're going to get to interact with me, Nate or Brock. And we're going to know that you may be ready for this and we may be ready for this and we'll get a good feel for each other. And then if it isn't a good fit, then you'll know that and we'll know that and nobody will be hurt for that. And hopefully we'll still get to grow together, but there's no like, Oh, click funnel. Now you owe us 10 grand. Okay. This is, this is purely what we love to do every day. But what we found is people have to be ready and looking for something to change. They have to be wanting to. So if you're not wanting to, that's okay. You're content with where you are. You're happy with what you're doing. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you think there might be something you could do better, more efficient, with more clarity, uh, we'd love to have that opportunity to do that with you if you feel like that might be a good fit. Uh, other than that, we hope you all have a blessed day, and we cannot wait to see you on the next one.